0: All right. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter fourteen. Romans chapter fourteen. I know a few few weeks ago we talked about some in Romans, and and uh, just wanted to follow up on some of that. We may even do some in Romans next week. I I don't know. it Would depend on how the Lord leads. But Romans chapter fourteen, we'll be looking at uh, verses one through twelve. Uh, as I said before, the the book of Romans. Uh, is one of the greatest books for understanding exactly what we believe, uh, the Bible doctrines of, of, uh, of Christ and, and, and our condition and, and how He justifies us and sanctifies us uh, and, and saves us from our sins. And, and the first uh, ten chapters or so deal with that. And then chapters 12 through 16 deal with now that you understand what you have in Christ. Now that you understand that you have been bought with a price. You have been redeemed. You have been sanctified or set apart. You have been justified in the eye. Now that you understand all that. Now, this is how you live with one another. This is how you live in society. Uh, this is how you, uh, in light of all that Christ has done as Christians, this is how we live. So we'll be looking at some of that again today uh, as we study God's word. Uh, I want to ask you a question this morning. Why does God command us to love one another, to forgive one another? And to get along with one another. Have you ever looked in the Bible, even the Old Testament all the way through, uh, how God has made it very clear that we're to get along, that he wants more than anything uh, first to, for us to love one another. But if we love one another, what does that bring? Unity, right? If you all love one another, nobody's going to be fussing and fighting and, and kicking rocks at each other. Well, hopefully not. I keep rocks at David's on button, but I still love him. But he wants us to love one another, and throughout Scripture, it calls us to to, to what, live with one another, to have unity with one another. Uh, we are warned in Matthew chapter eighteen by, by Jesus Himself. He warns us. That if we don't do this, if we become astonished, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, he's, he's not talking about, he brings a child up as an illustration, but his illustration is, except that you adults... You, whoever, come to the the age of understanding, come to me as a little child humbly and believe in me, except that you cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to this verse, who shall offend one of these little ones? He's not talking about children. He's talking about born-again believers, new believers in Christ, uh, which believe in me these little ones who believe in me. It would be better for him, the one who offends him, that a millstone be hanged around his neck and that he should drown in the depths of the sea. Wow, that's pretty bold talk there. What he's saying is, is we are so busy, uh, the, the, the thing that's got me thinking of first, the Lord just laid it on my heart and, and I, as I thought about it, I thought, wow, this is good for our society today. Uh, we, we are so, uh, as Christians, we, we sit around and we look at all that's going on and it would be very easy for us to go, oh, what a bunch of knuckleheads. How can people think the way they do? How can they do the way they do? And, and we wanna, uh, we've got to be careful as Christians that we don't look down our long righteous nose at someone and condemn them. Hello? Hello? Come on, people. We gotta be careful with that. I mean we understand that God's grace, we understand God's laws, we got it perfectly, right? We all know we're exactly right, right? All right, come on. Not always. But if we're following God's laws, we've got a good understanding, and and to offend someone here is, is more than just you hurt my feelings. Now there's some few things that are just floating around out here on our society now, and one of them is you offended me. Oh brother, put on your big boy britches Sometimes, you know, I may, am I looking down my wrong righteous nose at that? I don't think so. I, I think sometimes people tend to throw that out there. You offended me, just like they say, "Who are you to judge?" Well, right, you're not supposed to judge. But see, that's the thing when when people are convicted of their sin or they're convicted of their problem of their heart, the first thing they want to lash out is, Christians offend me. Christians judge me. There's a difference between uh, the offending here is to make one to fall away, to turn from truth or authority. So when you're talking to unbelievers, when you're talking to believers... What is your purpose? What is your goal? Is it to help them to understand the truth or to prove to them that you're right? It's the attitude in which you do it. And judging someone, we don't, we're not to judge, but you know what? I make judgments every day. That don't mean I judge you. Uh, God gives me His law. God gives me understanding. I've got to make judgments for myself every day. I've got to make judgments. When I was, my children were younger I had to make judgments as a father of whether I wanted that person teaching my child or not. I wasn't judging them. Based on God's Word I knew the truth of God's Word and I didn't want my children taught in a, uh, in a false way. But I wasn't judging them. We make judgments every day. And that's not my message. And I'm sort of, I I just want to clarify this offending and judging thing. It's just a scapegoat for someone to lash out, to try to make you feel bad because you've uh, made them feel guilty for their sin. y'all understand that? Is that pretty clear? But we got to be careful on how we do that. You can't beat them over the head with a big black Bible. you got to do it in love. you got to do it caring. You, they've got to know. It's just like disciplining a child. They've got to. You can't just go in there and start wailing the tar out of them. They've got to know why. They've got to have an understanding. they got to know you love them. That's why they're doing that. Not because you're just trying to get even or get back. So let me move on. Uh the, this this uh, unity in the church. The Corinthians were divided over uh, human leaders and some of the members uh, were even suing each other. Paul said, this ought not be. There n- needs to be unity in the church at Corinth. The Galatian saints, saints were, were uh, he says, were biting and devouring one another. Just tearing each others down. He said, this shouldn't be. Oh foolish Galatians you are doing it wrong he says and he goes on and on the saints of Ephesus and Colossae uh, had to be reminded of the importance of christian humanity, humanity ah, christian unity in the church at Philippi two women were at odds with each other and as a result were splitting the church well wow, there's a familiar one right how many churches are started across the united states or say Coweta County or Georgia alone. I, I know that I, I went to a church for a while, and part of that church actually had four other churches that was a spring off of that church. They split so, and I got it. Sometimes split is good. Sometimes God sends things to make you scatter, just like He did uh, in the as we studied in Acts. Uh, if we get so comfortable where we're at. We never reach out into the all the world part. We just want to stay in our little corner of the world. But most of the time it's because divisions in the church. Because problems, people at audit, I don't like the music. I don't like the preacher. I don't like the way she dresses. I don't, you know, nya, 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 nya. the color of the carpet. How many churches you known to get in a big fuss over the color of the carpet or the paint on the walls and a whole group of them just leave? Well, it's quiet. But he's saying these ought not be. You can't have this. The psalmist wrote, Behold how good, how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. As I said, throughout Scripture, uh, God calls us to unity, to live and to love one another, live together and love one another. Uh, Galatians 6.10, it says, uh, As we have therefore opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially them who are the household of faith. Paul is telling the Galatians, hey, we need to tell the world, the unsaved. We need to show them our love. We need to show them our care and all the rest, but especially the ones you go to church with. Especially the one that's sitting next to you in the pew. But how many times do you see people and They just, I don't care for her. You heard the way she talks. Come on. I'm going to sit on that side of the church because they sit on that side of the church. Is that unity? Is that love? Is that what God calls us to do? What about if somebody makes a mistake? Boy, us Christians are rough. Somebody makes a mistake, somebody falls away, and boy, we want to condemn them. We'll unface them. We're unfriend them on Facebook. Ain't that right? That's not what God calls us to do. That's not what God asked us to do for especially of the household of faith. See, the believers in Rome were divided over special diets and special days. Now, you all might argue with my diet. Well, I'll argue with yours. Okay and special days and all that. But they were fussing and fighting over there. You had the the Jewish, the, the Jews who lived in Rome that were brought up under traditions and, and laws and all the rest that they had to do. And then you had these new Gentiles in Rome that were getting saved also. And they didn't believe in all this. They wanted to eat pork. They wanted to have some fried chicken if they wanted it. And the Jews were like, no, 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 no. You remember Peter did that. When he was with the Gentiles, boy he thought pig was pretty good. Then he got around his brothers and sisters, the Jewish people and said, oh no, I wouldn't eat anything unclean. And God corrected him about that. He said, don't you say you can't eat anything that I call clean. See, God had done away. All that law and stuff was fulfilled in Christ. And, and these Rome, these uh, believers in Rome were having these problems and these debates and divisions in Rome. And, and, and our, our text, which I'm going to get to, trust me, in 14, uh, is dealing with that, with the diets and the days, the special days. Uh, some of the members thought it was sin to eat meat, and so they only ate vegetables. I'm glad it's not a sin to eat meat. You know what what vegetarian is uh, in in Indian? Bad hunter. hunter. That's right. (laughs) That's what it means in Indian, bad hunter. I'll move on. But see, some of them were only vegetarian. Other members thought it was a sin to observe the Jewish holy days. Obviously some didn't they were fussing and finding there was no unity. If each Christian had kept his convictions or her convictions to themselves, there wouldn't have been any problem. But they began to criticize and judge one another. Hmm. See the one sure group was sure that the other group was wrong and the other group was sure that the other group wasn't spiritual enough to understand. See, we throw that one out there. Along with that, you offended me and judged me. Well, they're just not as spiritual. They don't know the Scriptures like I do. Therefore, they're wrong. Well, we we fall on that a lot too, don't we? Paul was dealing this with the Romans. And let me read just verse, uh, the first few verses here. He says, uh, Romans 14.1, he says, "...him that is weak in the faith." That, that is someone that, that has just been saved. Maybe someone that doesn't fully understand all the doctrines of Scripture. Uh, their, their, their faith is, is sort of weak. You know, the disciples said to Jesus, "...Lord, increase our faith." Uh, we know that when we're first saved, we're not automatically right there where we should be. It's a progressive thing for every one of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, to grow in our faith. So those who are weak in the faith, what does he say? What does he say? Somebody tell me. Have Y'all got your Bibles out? Him that is weak in the faith... What? Huh? Love them. Receive them. In the King James, I don't know what your hippie Bible say, but as Paula calls it, receive them. If they're weak in the faith, don't cast them out. Don't talk down to them. Don't criticize them. Receive them. Uh, uh, love them. Encourage them. Uh, but not to do doubtful dispensations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God has received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Father as we study your word this morning I pray that you would give me the words to say that you would speak through me the the truths of your word, that we would understand it clearly, that we'd be doers of that word. Lord, just we pray for unity, first of all, in our body here, and we pray for unity in the body of Christ throughout the world. Lord, be with us in these next few minutes as we study your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Amplified Bible puts the verse 1 like this, as for the one whose faith is weak, accept him in your fellowship, uh, but not for the purpose of quarreling over his opinions. I thought that dressed it up or explained it pretty well. Uh, It's not about the, the, the thing here is unity. If a person comes in and their faith is not as strong as your faith, you can't condemn that person for that. What are you supposed to do? Receive that person. Help that person. You older women encourage the younger women. Don't tell them how stupid they are. Don't tell oh you shouldn't wear that. That's going to go far. You know where they're going to go? Right out that door right there. And they won't come back. I am a firm believer. And anyone who wants, I don't care your black, yellow, red, white, I don't care who you are. You're welcome in those doors. Long hair, short hair, mini skirts, shorts, pants, it don't matter. Because God loves them all. And Jesus died for them all. My job is to love them like Jesus loved them. To receive them like Jesus received them. And what needs to change in their life, I'm sure God can change it. He doesn't need my help. Do we understand that? So many times the church just gets criticized and downcast. And nobody will ever come through those doors because those Christians are just going to condemn me. They don't say condemn anywhere in there, right? Receive them. Look on down why do we receive them? Uh, it says, for God hath received them in verse 3. So if God receives them, we've got no excuse not to receive them, right? Now, listen, let me clarify that. And I can't believe this. My introduction took 20 minutes. Wow. There are certain things in Scripture. That are written in stone that I cannot veer away from. I will stand, I will go to my grave on. I'm not gonna compromise. And there are some things in there that that God just does, it's like a gray area. The Bible doesn't say either way. These are the things He's talking about. Whether you eat, whether you do this special day or that special day, whether you have a beard, I personally think beards are awesome. Good looking beard. Uh, you know, whether you have long hair, I don't like long hair, but I don't like to be hot. The only reason. You know, women, you want to wear pants, wear pants. Uh, I think whatever ought to be done ought to be done decently and in, or- and, in order and, and and be done modestly. And that is that's a good thumb rule for all things we do. For me to stand up here as a preacher and dictate that, oh you better not have a beard, you better not wear uh, pants to church, you better, you better, 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 better. And I sort of hit on this before. I mean you see somebody smoking a cigarette. Oh my goodness. My mom always used to say, you know, smoke, smoking a cigarette never send you to hell just makes you smell like you've already been there. <laughs> we can't condemn people because of their what they do, and especially the, un, the unsaved people, they don't know any better. And then of the household of faith, if you see somebody doing something that you don't think is, is up to par, it's not your, your job to judge uh, it's not your job to, to bring them down. Let's keep on looking. What is our job? He says here in verse 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Okay, good question. Uh, I, and I know we don't have servants today. At least I don't. I can't afford one. If, not a servant if you've got to pay them the high prices they want. But who are you to judge another person? So, So I thought of an illustration that came to me that fits so perfectly here. And I believe every one of us in here have done it. Have you ever been somewhere, and somebody's kid is just climbing all over everywhere? Or they're in the floor just pitching a fit, and you look at them and say, what a brat. What a, that kid's going to be a problem if that mom and daddy don't get a hold on them. What a brat. Guilty. Rest of you lying. We've all done it. Well, I want to ask you, who are you, who am I to judge another woman or woman's child? Now, I saw that, may have seen that child for the first time in, in a store. And I saw it happen. And then my first impression was, Wow, what a brat. I don't know that child. I don't know those parents. I don't live with that child every day. See, those parents live with them every day. How do you know that child just didn't have a bad day? Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Yeah, right, Brother King. (laughs) They could just be having a bad day. I mean, especially if he's two or three, you know they're going to have a bad day every day. They don't understand a lot of things. But yet we want to cast judgment on that's a brat. That's a problem. We do the same thing to one another. Brother Kenny has a bad day, and somebody just sees me one time have a bad day, and, boy, he ain't fit to be a preacher. Well, you're right, but... It was just because I had a bad day. You see what I'm saying? We look at a person, and based on one little incident, we want to make a, a full-blown conclusion about how that person is. when God says, "Receive him." See, God's the Father. God looks down in just like a parent in unconditional love. And they see that child unconditionally, love that child unconditionally, and they live with that child day after day after day, and they know that's just not normal. He's just having, or she's just having a bad day. How do you know that other Christians or people aren't just having a bad day? And their loving heavenly father looks down and says, hey, I got this. It's just a bad day. I know their heart. I know they're better than that, and I also know I can bring them from that place to where I want them to be. He says that on down through here. Uh, we, we we're quick to judge and, and make an assessment of a person or a group based on an one incident. Now there is some facts, like the Atlanta Falcons, we know they stink, right? <laughs> I mean, week after week, they have justified that they're not worth a flip at playing football and will never make it to a Super Bowl or get a Super Bowl ring. They did make it one time, but whatever. Bad illustration. But we can't just look at some person in one instant in my point, and, and we don't know that person like God knows that person, and God says, I receive him, you receive them no matter what you initially think he says i see their heart i know what they're capable of i know what i can do with them going down to his own master he standeth and falleth to god he standeth and falleth he knows who that person is. he shall be holding holding up for listen look at this verse uh, last part of verse 4 for what God is able to make him stand. Hey, they may be a little rough around the edges. They may not be exactly the kind of Christian you think they ought to be, but God's received them and he says, I'm going to make them what I want them to be. I'm able to make them stand. It's not your place to be the judge. Wow, got quiet. I believe the greatest thing we can do for a person that we see, and maybe it just sort of hits us. Ooh, that's not what I would have done. What's your first response? What is the first thing you should do? Go to them with the Bible and show them verse where they're wrong. Right? No, I don't think so. What does it say? Pray for one another. Edify one another. But most of all, pray for... You know the greatest thing, the, the most honoring, humbling thing that you'll ever tell me as your pastor? I'm praying for you. That means you are going to the creator of this universe to the God that loved me and gave his son for me, and you're going to ask him for something on my behalf. That's powerful. You want to help somebody? Go to the Father and say, Father, help them. And show me what I can do to encourage them along the way. See, if we would go more in prayer when we don't like something or see something and you're talking about, well, I don't have kids. I don't have, hey, you can apply it to anything in the church. But if you would first take it in prayer, you know something I found to be true? Before I get through praying, God helped that person. He showed me where I was wrong. Go to the ultimate judge Go to the one that will set things straight where they need to be set straight. It may be you. I wasn't pointing at anybody particular, Miss Carol. Maybe you. <laughs> Maybe me. But go to the God, the ultimate judge. Let Him show you what needs to be made right. It may be you. It may be you. Where was I at? And I got to move on. Uh, It says, one man esteemeth the day of another and esteem every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now that doesn't mean that your conscience should be uh, seared of of doctrinal statements of things that we know, as I said, that are uh, written in black and white or written in stone that we know are right and wrong. He's talking about moral issues, gray areas that, that... that God really doesn't deal with. He says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Uh, And and when he does that, God hasn't defined it. Uh, and, And as I said, if God defined it as sin, it's sin, okay? It hasn't changed. I don't care how much our culture has changed. Sin is sin from the beginning. And that will never change. But there are some things that we can live with or not live with, that we have no business judging or condemning another person that God has set them at liberty about. Alright, he that regards the day, we're getting, here they are talking about the days, and regardeth not a day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And, and he that eateth not the Lord, uh, the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself. Read verse 7. For none of them liveth, none of us liveth to himself, and no man denieth, dieth to himself. For whether we live, verse 8, we live unto who? The Lord. Or whether we die, we die unto the Lord the ultimate judge the only one who has the righteous judge the only one that can point a finger at anyone so what he's saying here if you make yourself judge over someone else you know what you're doing you're playing god that's a scary place to be i wouldn't want to be there You're playing God and you're casting judgment on someone he has already received. He's already made the promise that he who began a good work in you will perform it. He will make them to stand and you're casting judgment on that person. Be careful is all I can tell you. That's not going to turn out well for you. He's wanting us to come together in unity We live to the Lord. We are the Lords. He says, whether we live, whether we uh, we live in the Lord, whether we die, we die in the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are what the Lords. People, we got to get that in our mind. Uh, I I may have gotten mad at my brothers and sisters as a little boy, and I may I may have wanted to go to death. And my daddy used to make me mad. I couldn't even tell on him. He'd tell me, who do you think runs this house? And I'd say, well, it's not fair. What is fair, he would say. This never went how I wanted it to. (laughs) He was the ultimate judge of our house. and, And whether I liked it or not, whether I liked my brothers and sisters and what they were doing or not, my daddy was in full control of the family, And it wasn't my place to correct my brothers and sisters because I knew my daddy would take care of it. we got to understand that, people. If I'm out of line, my Heavenly Father is going to take care of that. Trust me. If you're out of line, I know the Heavenly Father is going to take care of that. I've watched Him do it over the years. I've watched Him do it in a loving and caring way that I probably could have never done. He, we are the Lord's. The high priest used to wear on his his miter or his turban that he had on his head. He had this little gold plate up here and it said, holiness to the Lord. What was that for? It was a daily reminder to the high priest that I am the Lord's. Everything I do, I do for the Lord. I'm not called by man, I'm not called by by anyone else but God. And my sole purpose is to glorify him. You know the Bible calls us priests. You know that? And in essence, we have a little banner on our head that should say holiness to the Lord. It wasn't the high priest's job to condemn or or to to bring the children of Israel down as they made confessions. A matter of fact, he made the one who committed the transgress cut the the, the neck of the lamb. It was their sin that caused the lamb to be crucified, not the high priest. He never cast judgment in his priestly duty. Now they made judgment and there were judges. I understand all that. But his place was not to cast much, but to go in their stead to make an atonement for them. Because his job was to be holy to the Lord. Our job is to be holy to the Lord. Daily we should be reminded of that. For this end... Christ both died and rose and and revived that he might be both uh, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. See, the only one Christ died for you, he gave himself for you, that he would be your Lord and you be his servant. You understand that? A lot of us don't want to struggle, We be nobody's servant. If he is your Lord, you are his servant. You have died to self and surrendered to him to be Lord of your life. Just like any other Christian. See, we want to worry about everybody else and we want to cast judgment and all the rest. And and Jesus gave us another, or, or John gave us a great illustration of this. As Jesus went to Peter. Remember on the shore where he was walking on the beach and he had forgiven Peter and told him three times, feed my lambs if you love me, feed my lambs if you love me. feed He had reestablished Peter after he had denied him. Peter made a big mistake, didn't he? Well, we just saw that one incident of Peter. Boy, he's a turncoat. He's a traitor. How could he ever be saved? Peter went on to do great things for the Lord. You can't base anything off one instance that a person does. But the, but the illustration he gave here and as he forgave Peter and, and Peter and Jesus are walking down the beach and, and I don't know how he heard him but he said he heard somebody behind him. There must be some noise. Maybe a lot of seashells on the shore that maybe that crackled but he heard somebody behind him and Peter turned and looked and saw John. He says, yeah, but uh, what about him, Jesus? What'd Jesus say? In essence, he said, don't you worry about him, Peter. You make me Lord. You worry about Peter. I'll take care of John. People, you worry about you. Jesus, God will take care of them. He'll show them where they need corrected. He'll show them where they uh, need things straightened out in their life. It's not our job. Uh, God is the ultimate job, judge as it says. Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou sit at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody's exempt. We will all stand before Christ one day and get him account not for I won't have to account for what David did, or Clint, or anyone else, or Robin. Thank goodness not Robin. Yeah. <laughs> but I will give an account for Kenny. We might as well start practicing it today. Why should we do it today? So we bring unity we're all in the same boat. We're all under the same Father who receives us. Who promised He will keep us. He'll make each and every one of us exactly what He wants us to be. And you know what? God even makes some people rough around the edges. Look at John the Baptist. But look what he did. The forerunner of Jesus Christ. Not all are just great theologians. Not all are perfect saints. Matter of fact, throughout Scripture, God used the, the troublemakers, a bunch of old fishermen, more than He used the educated. Something to think about. Do you want God to use you? Reasons to love, reasons to forgive, reasons to receive one another. Because God receives us, because God can hold us up, because God is sovereign over us. And God is the only one that is the righteous judge. He's the only one that has the right to judge us. See, if we fully understand that, that is spiritual maturity. Most of the time in my little short life, when you see someone looking down their self-righteous nose at someone and condemning them for not being very mature as a Christian, They're the ones that are immature. Because my Bible teaches me, if you see someone, Galatians 6.1, if you see a brother or sister in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore that one. It don't say criticize them. It don't say bring them down. Over and over through the Old Testament, or the New Testament, it says to lift them up. To encourage in them. And while you're doing it, it says in Galatians 1, be careful. Do it humbly because you're just as capable of making the same mistake as they did. If we could get all that in our mind, all that in our mind, boy, we'd get along so much better. We all could sit on the same first few pews. Except for the ones that don't take a bath. They sit somewhere else. But do you understand what I'm saying? God has called us to unity. Why do you think He says love one another? He's calling us to unity. And I, as far as I know, we don't have this problem here. Or maybe we do. And I just don't know about it. God knows, though. He gave me the message for a reason. If no more than just to remind us. 'Cause look how many times he reminds us of that throughout the New Testament. Throughout the old testament, people, you gotta stay together. You gotta work together. You gotta become one in the body of Christ, because there's a job to be done. Because there's people who don't know and don't understand that are watching you. And when we wanna do things and we had a little illustration a few weeks ago where a brother sort of just did some things that we didn't think were, you know, or some that thought was off code. And you know what they did? They did exactly the right thing. They got on Facebook and bashed them. Wow. The first thing they should have done is pray for them. Pray for them. And then privately go to that person and encourage them. Lift them up. Don't tear them down. God's received them. God promises he'll hold them. God promises he's going to make all things right. You just make sure you're where you should be. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that we have here at Bethel. For one another, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to to remain unified to remain uh, as one mind and one accord, Lord, because we know how easy it is for Satan to slip in and deceive and to distract and, and to cause problems. Lord, we just thank you for the unity and the love that we have here. Pray, Lord, that you would protect us from the evil one that He wouldn't be able to sneak in and do those kind of things, that we would look at one another in this church and in our community and to love all people as You've loved them, to receive them as You receive them, and to lift them up and encourage them to know You in a more perfect way. Father, we thank You for Your message. We thank You for this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.